anything else. Why is it unusual that we see him with clothes on? My favourite footballer to two is Pablo Zabaleta's. Right. Pablo Zabaleta has on his chest. Yes. A, oh, I've got it on my chest as well. Sorry. A I thought tattoo so. of his mother's face. Was she an attractive woman? I, I don't know. I haven't seen it that close up. I just think that that's a w- slightly odd thing to do on your chest. So you're in the throat. Say when Pablo Zabaleta and his lovely lady wife, Brenda, are yeah. in the throes of... Who, may I say, is a delightful lady. Brenda Zabaleta. Brenda Zabaleta. Wonderful. Have you, have uh, you met Brenda Zabaleta? Absolutely. Brenda just Zabaleta. Absolutely. A lot of work for charity. But when, when they're in the throes of their marital, marital passion... Yeah. She's sort of looking at from certain handles. Mm. She's looking at a picture of her mother-in-law, and I just think that's a really weird. So you thing wouldn't to have do. your mum emblazoned across. I your would not get a tattoo chest. of my mum. Full stop. But if I were to get a tattoo of my mum, I would not get it on my chest. A photo in a nice frame on the mantelpiece. <laughs> that's nice ideally, thing. yeah. Funnily enough, that might be also bad because if you think about it, if you're talking about particular, let's let's make this family friendly, but. In similar situations, it may well be that that is full and sensitive. In the living room, you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> in the living room, crazy. In the garden ma- shed, can you imagine mad the clean up operation? <laughs> absolute madman in the living room. <laughs> but, you know, Pablo Zabaleta might have a particularly so you'd have fruity <laughs> lifestyle. So you'd have your mother on your arm. Yeah, but not on your chest. Well, I wouldn't have a tattoo. You have your mother on your arm throughout your life. It's yeah. one of the great things about being a young gentleman to have your mother on your arm. How was your flight change? Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, leg room was superb. Apart from sitting next to two golfers. Oh, golfers! I know, they not give you, surely you get your own row if you're flying budget. You you'd get the entire you'd, row. You'd have thought you? so, wouldn't you? But no, no cutbacks. On my flight back from New York. In which? What are you doing in New York? I'm just there for work. Do you see anybody? Uh... Meet anyone we might know? Watch, watch a yeah, game. I can't reveal Watch a game with someone. Oh. The flight back, there was a very large man who was sitting. I'd paid extra to have an edit row seat, which I wouldn't normally do. It's the first time I've ever done it. But it was a work trip, so were but you it was paying a work, at all? No, I will pay for that. No, I will pay, pay for the for the extra seat. You will pay for that. The company will pay for it. They no, no, I genuinely weren't expensive. No, the he, only, he, the company the only reason I did it was because I had a middle. I was assigned the middle seat, and that is a miserable experience on like a seven-hour flight. I if didn't you, want if to do you're it. on your own, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I wanted to sleep, and because I had to, uh, stuff to do when I came back. Anyway, so um, there was a really like a really large man. Who got up? I saw him come on, and I thought, mm, if you're sitting next to that large man, you're going to be. I, this isn't like Tubby. I, I myself have battled weight issues, mm-hmm. so I'm not. I'm not being judgmental. But he was. He, this was not glandular. This was three tons of Pringles for breakfast. This was, this <laughs> was life choices. Yeah. This was. Yeah. And I, I've sat next to men of similar size on flights and remember th- like being deeply <laughs> resentful and thinking this isn't really fair. Does you are kind of getting half of my seat you're free a as well? And a half. Yeah. Anyway, he got up. Was he sat next to you? No, no, no. He was oh. like a couple of rows in front. Oh, okay. The couple next to me were delightful. Uh-huh. I really liked them. Mm. Just went to sleep. Didn't talk to me. Perfect flight <laughs> behaviour. <laughs> and the um, he dropped it over to the loom. And those aeroplane to- toilets are, are small. Narrow. Thinking, Narrow entrance. Thinking, mm. honestly, this is absolutely honest. I remember thinking, he must really need it. Does, at that size, you're not necessarily back to yourself to get out. <laughs> and it's actually a drawback to paying extra for an exit row. You have to like, move every time people come and kick you and they're like oh sorry I'm in your space yes you're in my space I've yeah. paid for this space get out of there it is paid for there it. is a um, there is a website that, that rates seats depending on their value and which plane oh, they're on so that you know that if you want extra leg room don't get those extra leg room get those ah, so they've got a plan that's very clever. seat plan of each and every yeah. anyway so the, the guy goes to the toilet I was sort of dozing and it was towards the time we were starting to land or get, you know, getting ready to land and like 10 minutes went by and I thought huh and the queue started building up. And then 20 minutes, and I thought... 20 minutes he was gone? Uh-huh. Then half an hour passed, there was like seven or eight people waiting. There's, the other toilet was still... But you're down to one toilet, so there's one guy in one toilet. 
And I was getting a bit panicky, to be honest. I was thinking, he is stuck. He has got stuck in the toilet. Because there is no other reason to spend that long in the toilet. Anyway, after about 30, 35 minutes, he came out. And it was really horrible. Because you could see the people in the queue who'd been waiting for ages and must have been, you know, bursting. And I think by that stage they'd said, take your seats. You've got to, uh, right, you've yeah. got to sit down again. So you've, if you've invested yeah, the yeah. time in it, you don't want to. You could see them all look at each other and think... Nah, you don't burst. <laughs> <It'll be nice. laughs> oh. Oh. And there's you spending what an extra twelve quid to get extra leg room because you've got dodgy, dodgy knees. Tw- twenty-four pounds it cost me. Well, twelve. It's money well spent. One way, twelve the other way. So twenty-four. No, change tonight. Forty-eight pounds. Yes. Chins, could you not what? fly? Could you not have flown premium premium economy? I think Is I did. It? Oh, did you? It's the first eight rows. Right. Okay. Yeah. But they don't think they call it premium economy. It's not first eight rows. That's <laughs> right, okay. pretty much the gather. only way of flying to where Chinch has just flown back from is budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The um, the more established. I don't um, like to use that word, Stephen. More but celebrated airlines no don't really bother themselves with that particular route. No. Okay. Put it, put it this way: there are no curtains. This is set piece many. Welcome everybody to the podcast where four friends talk football over food, which has been a, a lovely summer-like, or should I say, spring-like spread mm. uh, from Rory at his house. And we have now been left with only the detritus, which is some very crispy biscuits. Which detritus is a bit harsh. It is a bit harsh. A strong liking to. They are French, and they are leftovers from Christmas, from what I understand. And they smell like bricks. They're not leftovers from Christmas. My sister gave them to me for Christmas, and I am very kindly sharing them with you now. Yes, that's true. Well, I will not be partaking, but any crunching that you hear... Hang on, you love a biscuit. What's wrong with those particular biscuits? I'm not a particular fan of biscuits. I I am not a biscuit fan. Really? Across the board. You, You generally have... A packet of biscuits available. For you. You're the only person who actually comes to the really? house and eats biscuits. You do that for me. I do that for you. I come to your I'm house quite and eat touched, actually. There we go. We've, yeah. we've doubled the, uh, the possible stop, catch. Stop eating, my, bri- stop eating my biscuits. We normally have better biscuits in, but we've not been here for a while. I am not a judger of the quality of so biscuits. You know how many times I've heard that kind of story? We'd have better biscuits <laughs> in. And you just don't, though, do you? you stop like throwing them down. I, the sound effect is delightful, but it's slightly disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> He's now touched all of the biscuits. <laughs> stop touching my biscuits. It's like you like built a brick wall or something. They're fit only now for the dog, aren't they? Um, I am Hugh Ferris. Uh, we have uh, amongst us Rory Smith, who has spent some of the last few days in New York, as he's been talking about. Andy Hinchcliffe, who spent some of the last few days in Portugal. And Steve Wyeth, who spent some of the last few days in glamorous locations like Cheadle and Withington, with Both. a little trip to the Aldi in Disbury Village <laughs> to spice things up. Both lovely. They Not so much the oldie. We will be discussing one footballing subject on the show this week, chewed over as vigorously as the food for around 30 minutes or so. Uh, then we invite usually Chinch to tell us a soccer story from his playing days, but after all your wonderful efforts on social media, mm. we will once again be turning to Chinch and asking Chinch some questions from folks on Twitter. So that's something to look forward to. The question today was actually going to be, are football trivia questions the most annoying thing about football? Yes. Which is verbatim from Rory Smith. You know we have our WhatsApp mm. account. We have Well, we have two. We have the one with all four of us and we have one without you, Chinch. Yeah, I know that Because you're, you're a little bit sporadic with your entertaining streams of consciousness on WhatsApp. Um, you posed this trivia question on our WhatsApp group that includes you. Yeah. I have it here. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't really a WhatsApp group that doesn't include you. You there do know that, don't you? There isn't. But there's no way of you knowing, so we'll just keep that, uh, keep that going as long as we can. Uh, so anybody out there who feels like that they can answer this question, we have settled on an idea which we will not 
reveal we is think, our answer. We think we know who it is. We think we know who it is. But if anybody feels like that they also know who it is, do get in touch. Uh, here is the question. I am a person. I won the league in two different countries. I'm not English. I have not played in Germany. Oh, so it can't be my idea. So we don't know who it is. All right, OK. I have won the World Cup and Champions League. I have played with Kaká and Rubinho, but I have not played with Ramos or Messi. I was managed by Mourinho, but not by Guardiola or Ancelotti. Most people who are listening to this will be able to rewind that and listen to it again if they need to. Um, usually the answer to these questions is Kanu or Seidorf. It's neither of those two because of obviously we, the reasons that we've just given. And I thought it was Lucio. You thought it was Lucio. I thought it was Jamie Pollock. But it's he's not played Pollock. in Germany. Germany. Lucio, Mourinho, Lucio, Lucio has fits all of those criteria but has played in Germany. So we have an email address now. So if anybody knows the answer to that question, please get in touch with your suggestions. Set piece menu, all one word, at gmail.com. So we have an email address. And that is there for all feedback, comments, abuse, please no abuse, um, kind words, and if anybody's lost our phone numbers and needs to get in touch, setpiecemenu at gmail.com, also on Twitter at setpiecemenu. And uh, ideas for future editions of setpiecemenu are gratefully received as well. That's true. All answers to trivia questions that we can't answer ourselves and all ideas for shows that we can't come up with ourselves, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. So the actual question today is this. How long is too long for a manager? The answer for someone like Arsene Wenger might be, for example, 20 years, or a lot less if you listen to some Arsenal fans. The answer for Jose Mourinho is two to three years. The answer for Palermo is three to 12 weeks. <laughs> they have a crazy president, or a recent crazy president, we should say. Or for Auxerre and Giroud, it's 44 years. So sometimes it's the club, sometimes it's the manager who decides, but how long is too long? And Chinch, without getting childish, yeah. um, how long is too long? How long is to me has have things changed in terms of the dynamics within the clubs now? Where maybe the coaches or the managers had the major say in how long maybe they stayed because owners were willing to listen to the managers a lot more. Now the clubs are maybe differently run with a lot of foreign owners, a lot of wealth within the clubs. So now the owners of the club are really dictating how long a manager stays. So has it been taken out of the coaches and managers' hands now? How long they because all managers want to stay for as long as possible, ten years, twenty years. All managers would want to stay in the job that they enjoy. But, some but it's won't. taken out of their hands they do, now by the owners. Some won't because of, if you Pep Guardiola left Barcelona after four years claiming that he had he burned himself had, out. Yes, he'd burned himself yeah. out, needed mm-hmm. a year break, then he had three years at Bayern Munich, which, which he felt was enough. Mm-hmm. Um, whether he lasts that long or longer at Manchester City remains to be seen. But there are those, and Luis Enrique is leaving Barcelona for the similar sorts of reasons. He's burnt out. It, it's too much for yeah. him. So actually, some managers are deciding yes. that they cannot see any sort of longevity in that well, I suppose it depends how much success or what success is for different clubs because a, a manager of Manchester United or Real Madrid or Barcelona is very different than managing a team in, in League 2 in, in England so clearly it depends how much pressure and expectation are on managers and yes if they are massively su- successful in three or four years the amount of work they've got to put in to achieve that means that they just they, they, they don't want to they can't last for another five or six years because they, they simply can't physically do the job and they have to move on but a lot of other probably 99% of, of coaches and managers will want to stay in the job for as long as they they possibly can, I would presume, to try and, I presume, bring a philosophy into a club. That's what managers always talk about. We need some time to develop a philosophy and move things forward. That can take between two and five years. But I would probably say five years, what we're talking about, five years, gives a, a coach a decent amount of time to be successful on whatever level that might be. And then there comes a point where actually changing it is beneficial to the club and doesn't actually take the club backwards by bringing somebody new in. So we We'll start off by talking about those those managers who have been in the job for a, an extraordinary amount of time. 
we mentioned the Giroud example I don't think there's necessarily been anybody at a top level club that's mm-hmm. been in the, in the job for 44 years but Sir Alex Ferguson contractually obligated announcement that Sir Alex Ferguson is once again <laughs> in the podcast uh, 26 nearly 27 years um, Arsene Wenger 20 years there are those who have been there and have been the all powerful manager For it's almost like in American sports as if they were the head coach and the general mm. manager as well which you have in some NFL teams that Bill Belichick at the New England Patriots for example is like the Sir Alex Ferguson he is the head coach and the general manager he oversees everything but that is not really how things are anymore and probably why Arsene Wenger is having all these problems yeah I think Wenger is a anachronism but in, a, in kind of a nice way in this context it's not th- th- these are all outliers if you looked certainly and in England we've always had this idea oh you know English managers last longer and I think realistically what that means is that whereas on the continent most managers tend to think in two to three year cycles in England we've tended to think like Chinch says five five and six and then if it's worked it's worked and you, you get longer and if it hasn't worked then you get sacked but mm-hmm. you've got to give managers that sort of time that is changing now that if managers now in England don't work in the first definitely two seasons they're done even at big clubs well, that, I was going to say the, the Pozzo family running Watford yeah. they, they do actively change things every two years they, they change their coach they think it freshens things yeah. up keeps people on their toes they change their pers- uh, personnel as well and they got promoted to the Premier League yeah. they maintain their status in the Premier League and they're looking to develop so normally you'd say well surely a manager needs to stay if he's doing well if he's been there for two years why get rid of him but they want to freshen things up yeah. and so far it's worked for them so maybe that's more the model that a lot of other Premier League clubs might follow well I think to the, to the Pozzos the manager is it, and this is what you say about the w- way clubs are run is absolutely right managers are a card in a machine mm. they're not yeah. we, we've always thought in England and I think it, it held true in in Spain and Italy and Germany for a long time but maybe not for quite as long as it has here that the manager is the most important man at the club and the Pozzos among others have looked at that and thought well no strictly I, it's, it's all my money so yes, I'm, I'm the most I'm important charge. man at the club but the, the reason that that's happened in places like England and before as you say in other countries too is because the, the best examples of successful managers are ones that followed that blueprint mm. so it's very easy to say well this is what should happen the manager should be the most important person in the club because look at the success that that brings so there is now a battle going on I would imagine over the last 10 years or so of, of people being able to prove that the opposite is true mm. that it might work for Watford mm-hmm. it's it's worked almost for different reasons but it's been enforced on teams like Southampton it's worked there too they are a cog in the wheel Chelsea and, and Chelsea but Chelsea is also the yes for, forcibly because of the whim of their of their owner. Southampton have been quite open about that mentality though, haven't they? Talking about how a manager is as interchangeable as any other employee of the club, whether that be a member of the backroom staff or or a player. And they've spoken about this sort of black box they've got of information where they feel as though if any member of their playing staff was to leave, they've got information on half a dozen possible replacements and likewise for the manager. So for example, when when Ronald Koeman left Southampton for, for Everton, they felt like they had quite a few suitable candidates lined up that could slot in. Claude Puel got the job. On the face of it, he wasn't the best available candidate, but Southampton looked at him and decided he was the most suitable candidate and the, the, the man that they could slot most comfortably into the machine and just keep it turning over. And that mentality, which perhaps has come from the continent now to top clubs in the Premier League, is that a manager is replaceable mm. as often as he needs to be because actually the club can continue ticking over without really breaking stride because 
that they aren't the all-encompassing power that perhaps in the past uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger were. So are we saying with Arsene Wenger, has he now stayed too long? Is there a point where, does there come a point where a coach or a manager is going to say, I need to follow, yeah. my, the club needs to change, I need to step away because football has changed and the, the demands from the fans on our football club has changed. Somebody else needs to come in and maybe change the dynamic within the club. So has he stayed maybe five years too long, Wenger? Has he stayed a cycle too long? You yeah. were just talking yeah. about this. He's perhaps having been unable to achieve success in one full cycle of five or six years, perhaps that was the point in which club and managers should have severed ties because he's now potentially going to go through another cycle without winning the Premier League. And that would perhaps be the point in which you'd reflect on history and think, well, maybe we should have looked for a new manager five or six years ago. I think even though Wenger, Wenger has stayed too long, there's no question. I, don't, I, I think even the Arsenal fans who, who want him to be, you know, who don't think he should be hounded out, the sensible Arsenal fans. Mm -hmm. uh, I think even they probably accept that he maybe has stayed too long, that it, it might, I don't you, you never hear that kind of, you, you get all the fury on Wenger has to go, you don't get too much fury on maybe it's time he should call it a day. If you venture that opinion, no yeah. one's saying, oh, you're a scumbag, it's terrible you're saying that. I think people see that. He should be given but a, he a respectful departure when it happens. But is, right? but is this individually his problem, or the club, the way that Arsene Wenger runs Arsenal, the Arsenal hierarchy are happy to keep him in the job because they're happy with the job that he's doing. Well, so that's it. a club problem, but that's it, not that just Arsene Wenger's problem. He's not failed. That's the, that's the, Wenger is an outlier, and we've, we always have this, this problem, particularly in England, I'm, I'm adamant of looking at, the, looking at the outliers and believing they're the rule. So... People for ages only looked at Sir Alex Ferguson. He, you know, he needed yeah. lots of time to have all this success. Almost as though if you give me 26 years, I will win you loads of Premier League titles. No, you won't, because that, that Ferdy did that. That's unique to Ferdy. You could give, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a terrible manager who I don't want, who I don't mind insulting. Uh, Alan Kirbishley. You could give Alan Kirbishley <laughs> soft target. 26 years. And good manager though he he was at Charlton. Kerbs isn't winning you the Premier League. Well, no, 13 times mainly because the Alan Kerbishley season was to do well up until yeah, about yeah. mid-February yeah. and then Taylor well, well, yeah Pulis Pulis is a good manager Pulis does what he needs to do you can't criticise Tony Pulis you give him 26 years in a job he is not going to win you the league we always looked at and certainly thought, not a dozen times no not, not certainly not once Steve let's all <laughs> but we, we all looked at it and thought oh, almost as though time equals success and it doesn't time in Ferdy's case and Vendor's case was a contributory factor to success and the fact that they are themselves remarkable meant they could but maintain it but also being it. successful gives you more time exactly, to be yeah, successful yeah, yeah. in the future but most of most of Wenger's success came relatively early yeah. he only won the league three times in his first eight seasons and hasn't in the, the 13 subsequent seasons so actually perhaps it was the end of Wenger's cycle but 2004 the club being happy with the job that he's doing running that club very much not say necessarily as a mm. business but they've spent a lot of money but also they're, they're running that club differently so maybe they're happy for him to be in charge of the way they want the club run but there you get and you, I think that's right you get into a, a much bigger possibly even more interesting subject which is what is failure because yeah. Vendor hasn't failed it's really hard to make the case that Vendor has failed you can argue that he's not succeeded in the way that he maybe should have done but he, it's really difficult to say oh Vendor's been a failure I get frustrated by this uh, this by particularly supporters of, of clubs who are perhaps used to success or have had a period of, of, of success in recent years, that you have this sense that failure equals not winning mm. more than one trophy in, say, two years. Mm. So Arsene Wenger has taken Arsenal to the FA Cup twice in the last three years and I appreciate that there was a barren spell before then when actually these kind of conversations were probably more relevant because there had been such a dry patch. There are four trophies that can be won 
by Premier League clubs each season, only three of them are definitely going to really be won by Premier League clubs. Not every team can mm. win every trophy mm. every year. Just statistically, that's wild. So why there's there's so much, why why managers and teams are held up to such extraordinary standards? If you win one of the three trophies, it, particularly in England, where there are teams who can win them, mm-hmm. it's not like in other countries where perhaps you would expect Bayern to win one or two, and you'd expect Bayern, um, Real or Barcelona to win one mm-hmm. or two. This is this is a country which has got five or six teams who could genuinely win those three trophies. So that means that five sometimes will miss out on all three of those trophies it's ridiculous to think that you should be winning every single year at least one of those three that's the clue the Arsenal view is if we finish in the top four financially it's very good for us but whether we win or we don't isn't the end of the world because we're happy with the structure that's been built by Arsene Wenger over the years and we're happy to continue well, maybe we get to a point now where it might change, but they've clearly been very happy with the way the club's been run. And Hugh is looking at it with a with a clear head, perhaps in the way that very, uh, very, very unusual. If you drank more lager and then did this podcast, it'd be honestly, a very oh, we should give that a go, shouldn't we? I just yeah. got it on the tip of my tongue. It's just terrible. I did. We, we did our best best last night to get as much lager into him as possible, <laughs> but it didn't didn't quite work out. There was too much uh, that, that sensible could, behaviour going on. That could be any night. <laughs> <laughs> but in. Hugh is looking at it from the point of view of the the modern owner mm-hmm. of a of a Premier League club rather than the supporter of a Premier League club because those two groups view success very differently. I often think like the the Arsenal boardroom must be a bit like that the scene in Friends where Chandler is sucking up to his boss mm-hmm. and they're in the meeting room and the boss is like. Look, in summary, all the lines are pointing up, so I'm happy. <laughs> and that must be the way that Arsenal analyse their p- revenue is up, support, you know, bums on seats is yeah. remaining consistent. We are happy. We're not worried about the lack of new silverware in the trophy cabinet. Whereas that is all that supporters judge success on, isn't it? The trophies that have been won, the, the things that they can celebrate. Yeah, well, but West, like you talk about Tony Pulis, what do West Brom are having a great season this season? Are West Brom, are, they, are the fans thinking this is a great season mm. for us? Or, well, wait a minute, we should be challenging for the top depends six. what, what club you support exactly sorry yeah, to yeah, clarify yeah. yes how a, how a supporter views the success of their team you know a West Brom fan if, if West Brom got into Europe would, would deem that to be a, a very successful failure and that's what the entire year trying to get out of Europe what success for Southampton if, if hypothetically there are any, any Southampton fans here what would they say I is successful put, I would put Southampton in a similar bracket prior to last season teams like Leicester no teams like West Brom Swansea who are doing well Stoke, Stoke yeah, yeah. Um, the, the problem is is that you can get to 7th maybe 6th if somebody mm. like United or Liverpool as they have in recent years dropped out of the top 6 but genuinely more than that it's going to take a Leicester season mm. for, for you to be able to get into the top 6 or find yourself competing regularly for those positions because you need incredible influx of cash then you have to think about also who you're competing with to get players to get uh, to get those kind of players who would be able to to allow you to compete, but supporters with the top supporters four. of any of any club like that would be looking at the League Cup, perhaps mm. to be or the FA yeah, Cup, yeah, yeah, or yeah. the FA Cup to be attainable or qualifying for the Europa League on merit. That would represent having had a very good league season. Mm. So you know, if Southampton had won the EFL Cup their supporters would have been absolutely thrilled about that. It's a long time since Southampton have won a major trophy. So that would have made this season a very successful one mm. through the eyes of a Southampton fan or, or one of those sort of mid-table Premier League sides. Last season, Manchester City just won the League Cup and didn't mm. win anything else. And that was and, failure. And it was yeah. failure. Yeah. But so, so if Relatively it, speaking. I think it's actually at that level of clubs where you can say 
And it's not something I believe in for the elite clubs, because I think with the elite clubs, in terms of the managers, the very the top six, the, the European giants, I think you do need to change regularly, because I think the players get bored, you can't shift the players, and also you need you need to be on kind of the absolute cutting edge of whatever is yeah, going on. Yeah. So after three years, you come to the end of a cycle, the players have sort of... I, I was speaking to a player not long ago about uh, a club who sacked their manager after a long time, and I said, what was it? Then we did was it tense between you was did, had it, did it stop working he said no no it's nothing like that it's literally just that there comes a point where everybody kind of knows you need you need to change and it's easier and the players know this it's easier to change the manager because if, if not you've got to sell 10 players and sign 10 new ones yeah, to yeah. bed them in so you just get rid of the manager I think somewhere between two and four years four maybe five in exceptional cases you can say that's enough time as Chink said to see if the manager's worked out it should be enough time to implement whatever he's trying to do, and by the end of it, you'll see. Right, this is what's happened in the in this five-year spell. We're going to go and get someone else. I think that's fine. But it's for clubs like Southampton, like West Brom, where you could say, actually, all right, you could get someone for because maintenance is the important yeah, thing. Yeah, because what you need not to do is awful, but staying in the Premier League, yeah. you're not going to finish in the top seven. Yeah. So actually, that's what you can split the Premier League. Maybe Everton and the top six in terms of their finances. Coaches might come in blitz it for three or four years to try and win as much as they possibly can burn themselves out things yeah. will need to change for the rest of the Premier League not saying all the clubs are the same but virtually the majority of them are battling to stay in the Premier League so why would you change Tony Pulis if he's maintaining your status year after year maybe after five or six seven years you might think well are we going to develop things slightly can we challenge but Stoke, are Stoke, we happy in the, with the it has to be Stoke and basically yeah. they've gone from finishing 15th to finishing 10th 9th yeah. which, which, is, which is great yeah, which but, is amazing yeah. but it's, it does show that there is but they can't financially they can't there's, go. Yeah, they can't go any higher. There's no the other ceiling. steps. West Brom have yeah. hit the ceiling, but. It, for, for someone coaching that team you could see a manager staying there for maybe six, seven, eight years because you want to maintain your status in the Premier League what you then get is stability and c- continuity and a degree of fluency within the squad so, mm. because if you're doing your job properly mm. you should be buying players or bringing players through who then go on and are sold yes. to bigger clubs yes. Yes. Yeah. which means you can still get stale can't you yeah, which means but it means you yeah. don't have to have that thing where the players are bored with the manager's yeah. methods because there's a, a natural kind of flow through of players yeah. between you from your clubs to slightly bigger clubs mm-hmm. but you also get but with having that stability and continuity you can probably maximise your chances of nicking sixth when one of the big teams has a has a terrible season get into an EFL Cup final yeah. that does work and also if you you know if you're an ambitious coach you're told look you get to come here you've got all this stuff at your disposal and if you do really well you might get picked up by one of the lesser ones yes, in then, the top there seven. There needs to be some yeah. self-awareness, doesn't there? You need to have players, and, and I think when Stoke recruit high-profile players like Shakiri, for yeah, example, yeah, Bojan, yeah. Yeah. And Bojan, they say, "Don't worry, we understand. You might only be here for a year or yeah. two, yeah. and you'll get the opportunity." So it encourages them to come at, at the stage of their careers. And it's the same with managers. I think they they understand, don't they? Those clubs that it may well not be that they are able to keep a good manager for that long. But even if you are the owner or the chairman of one of those clubs who has had a manager who's been capable of sort of dropping anchor in mid-table and then never really being any concern about relegation mm. as Pulis was at Stoke mm. but there was clearly a sense that after a period of time they just perhaps dropped off a level mm. and perhaps that danger of, of becoming getting sucked into yes. the relegation fight was perhaps a little bit too real and that was the, the catalyst for making the change and it, yeah. it worked out well for them in the end at the time you thought well how has this parting of ways between Pulis and Stoke come about it seemed like you know the perfect footballing marriage yeah. didn't it but, but ultimately even that became stale after a while. Yeah, so do, yeah. same problems uh, well, as the clubs at the top, just just different position in the league. During your career, mm. did you 
do you notice that after two or three years with the same manager, even one who doesn't like you, do you do you notice that you, one, the, one or two, the, the, <laughs> five or six that didn't like the players? Are, the the problem can, there was not the manager. But then you're really reliant on your senior players to be the driving force as well, yeah. because they know how the land lies, and they know actually, yes, everybody could just take their foot off the gas. And as Steve said, you can then suddenly get sucked into a, a situation that you wouldn't expect, and that's why you're so reliant on your players pulling out all the stops as well. And then you have to maybe uh, Tony Pulis gets to a stage where he's getting a bit stale. You have to then, as you say, the flow through of players. They have to change those players so he can again freshen himself by working with a new bunch of players to get them to be Stoke players again or it falls apart and you bring somebody else in but at Stoke you're very, that's the money that they spent bringing in players like Shakiri Martins Indy's come in now as well haven't they so they've um, Joe Allen was signed for a lot of money as well so you're saying 15th to 9th that's quite a jump in the Premier League as well. So they've had to spend a lot of money, not as much as the top seven are spending, but they spent a lot of money just to give themselves again, maybe just to distance themselves yeah. from any side that's going to be drawn into the relegation battle. So there's still been a step forward for Stoke, but they have hit the ceiling now. They can't go anywhere because financially they can't go anywhere. So what, what is the, the driving force of Mark Hughes has to be a domestic cup. That's all yeah. he can really target now because he knows he's going to stay up, trying to win something. But the, the big clubs are now taking the domestic cups a lot more seriously because they, they know the, the competition at the top of the Premier League is so much greater that actually now you look at the semi-finals for the FA Cup this season look at the sides that are in there that never normally is the case because the teams aren't that fussed about the domestic I th- I think but they are now I think it's only I, I, I had to research this and I, I gave up after about 20 years I think only only one other time in the last 20 years mm. have the four FA Cup semi-finalists been from the Premier League top six as and that's not by accident is it presumably yeah. you look at the team yeah. selections for the, as the rounds have gone yes. by and, and there's often taking anomalous teams. teams it's harder then yeah. for teams like Stoke and, and Southampton to, to get to finals and win things yeah. and is, is another way of quantifying the answer to this question you know how long is is too long for a manager if that man becomes a little bit maybe too closely associated with the the executive side of the management mm. of the club because I suppose we saw that in the the latter stages of Sir Alex Ferguson's reign at Manchester United although he was still able to produce a successful team that he became almost like a barrier didn't he between the owners mm. and a disgruntled mm. fan base at the lack of investment but Fergie was protecting the Glazers by continuing to deliver success on a, on a more meagre budget than, than others around them were, were spending on playing staff. And likewise, Arsene Wenger is providing the owners of Arsenal with a solution in that he is keeping them competitive, continuously getting them into the, the top four of the Premier League and therefore qualifying for the Champions League without them having made the kind of investment in the playing staff that the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea or perhaps even Liverpool have made mm. over, over recent years. And so, Manchester United since Fergie left. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> well, because that, that was the point at which they needed to, to, to start spending some money because they no longer had to that. To compensate for yeah, Fergie then, yeah. So perhaps that's another way of, is, is if you are able to step back from a situation and say, do you know what? I've gone too far away from being the manager of the playing side of this club to being, you know, involved with the, with the management of the club as a whole. Mm. That perhaps that might be the point in which, at least in terms of a, a coach, you need to make a change. And I th- well, I think those days are gone, though. The, the, yeah, exactly. We, what, we are once, beyond that now. Really, Fergie's Vendor, the last. Once Wenger retires, you, you, there will no longer be. And you get managers who are trying to bulletproof. Guardiola is. We've had this conversation a million times, uh, publicly and privately. But Guardiola is completely bulletproof. The, I mean, Guardiola could go out and manage an entire game naked. He could <laughs> play Claudio Bravo up 
front. That's a thought, isn't it? What a thought. <laughs> Claudio Bravo up front. Yeah, yeah. What a thought. <laughs> <laughs> Not beyond the realms of possibility. I'll tell you what, Claudio Bravo up front might be. Uh, Even though I said successful. that's a thought before, you yeah, said Claudio yeah. Bravo. That's still what I was thinking. He, um, <laughs> you know, to play Raheem Sterling dressed as a clown at centre back and just say it is, it's part of my philosophy. Yeah. City aren't sacking him. But, so you, you can still get bulletproof managers who are all powerful. But th- those days of having a manager who is kind of doing the recruitment and who is appointing everybody around the club who is in charge of kind of the medical side of it exclusively that those kind of days that Ferdy enjoyed they're gone they they have and it's good that they're gone what you want what you don't want to get into is where everything is a six-month appointment and there is a place for six-month appointments there's a place for having the Italians call them the, is it traditore, the, the ferryman it's, the, it's like the old like wizened guy with the white hair who who gets, goes into Bologna when they're 19th <laughs> yeah. in January. Gandalf. Gandalf. <laughs> He's managed Bologna. He managed Jordan. Had a great season with Marco De Vaio at Bologna. <laughs> <laughs> outstanding. Um, no, he goes into like Bologna or, you know, Palermo you mentioned is a bit different, but those clubs at the bottom half of Serie A, and they have this idea that, that you have managers who are specialists in avoiding relegation. Yeah, th- these, these, these yeah. are the, the, the five. Steve just showed me a picture of Zednak Zeman. All oh, right. <laughs> so you want that's to use his That's example. basically who he's talking about. Uh, he is the Neil he's a, he's, he's a bit of this. Uh, Do not story. ever compare Zeman to, to Neil Warner. <laughs> that really offends me. No, Zeman's a, just a crazy. I'd love, I'm, I'm determined to interview Zeman before he retires, but he's um, ultra attacking, like three, three, four, like just conti- continually running forward. But he does. He takes those. He takes those bad jobs, and he goes in tends to go in for a year. There's be, like there's um, Carlo Mazzoni was a classic ferryman. Like go in, do a job for a bit, then go. They respect that that is Ventura, the Italy coach, kind of made his name doing that. I think initially, and they respect that that is a specific type of managerial skill. That for so for some managers, how long is too long is the end of the season. It could be it could be eight weeks if you if you. Yeah. Bring, I, the reason I mentioned Neil Warnock is because he's the guy that you get in if you if you're potentially trying to get either somebody promoted or, or save them from relegation. Mm-hmm. Sam Allardyce you yeah, mentioned yeah, because yeah. He, he saves them from relegation it was totally pewless with Crystal Palace as well but the so mistake these... we make is that we think if you survive if you help someone avoid relegation that that means that you should get the job for three exactly. years yeah, yeah. So that's, that's too long that's, they, yeah. they are they are brought in to firefight and they don't necessarily have the same skill yeah. at a, a long term plan so you're right sometimes too long is is more than eight weeks yeah it's at the end of the season just just know, know when to walk away that you that you you will go in for three, four, five, six months of help Bologna and Marco De Vaio avoid relegation. And then you'll be you'll get your payoff and that will be that until January when someone will ring you up and say Giampaolo or whatever. That's an Italian name, isn't it? <laughs> but the coaches presume that that's what everyone thinks about them and they accept that's what they are. They seem to, yeah. It seems to be more no, the so case. Wait a, minute, wait a minute, I'm better than this. I should be at a club where I can spend three or would, four years developing you, and developing. I don't think want to. just a firefighter. Let's just quickly say about Palermo because it, it is extraordinary. The, the recently retired president of Inverted Palermo, commas. Uh, Inverted Mar- commas. Yes, exactly. Because he, if, he, if he sacks his manager after about three weeks, <laughs> he can bring himself back, can't he? Maurizio Zamperini 40 coaching changes in 15 years including I think one manager who came back three times and the second time he was there was he was there for about a day or something like that but this is this is that's fasc- an extreme example of all the things that we're talking about joined up together this is a fascinating thing though you see in Italian football an awful lot a manager will start the season mm. of a club in charge they'll have a, a wretched first few weeks they'll get sacked in October or November someone else will, will come in a sort of ferryman type of character as Rory was just, just talking about they don't make any difference whatsoever and in February the guy who started the season as manager comes back again and sees it through to the end of the campaign because 
they've stayed on the payroll. They've been on gardening, gardening leave. They're still technically paid mm. as the club's manager. Just so they just just bring them straight back in. We, I don't think we'd see that in England. So how, how have Palermo done under this guy then? Under Zamperini, they've been up and down. They've had some remarkable. They've got into Europe a few times, okay. which for Palermo is pretty special. Edinson Giovanni was found yeah, yeah. by Palermo. Uh, Bilo- Andrea Bellotti was yeah, a Palermo. Dybala more recently. Dybala was at Juventus. Juventus yeah. So the, Zamperini's not, he's not an idiot. It's the same to an extent as Cellino. So Cellino, yeah, when yeah. Cellino came yeah. to Leeds, we all sort of said, oh, God, look at this crazy Italian with his open net shirts and his slick back hair. He's going to be rubbish. <laughs> and it's in his shades in October. And it turned out that he is nuts. But <laughs> Cellino did a great job at Cagliari. He turned Cagliari, who were an up-and-down team, into a regular presence in Serie A. And he was, only, he was only a little bit behind that uh, yeah, regularity Zamperini, of getting yeah. through his his manager. It's the same with the Pozzos. The Pozzos still, there's a lot of people in England who don't like their model, but Udinese 30 years ago were never in Serie A. Now they are always in Serie A. So Palermo will probably get relegated this year. But, and that there are doubts over, over whether Zamperini has actually sold his state. What's going on? He sold it to a comedian whose main show in Italy is. So we're waiting is, for the punchline. He's like gag, like he's like hoaxes. Like if I'm a Palermo fan and my my wacky boss, the wacky owner, has sold the club to a man who's a specialist in hoaxes, the I'm Jeremy not f- Beadle, of yeah, sold it to, to Ger- the, the Italian Beadle. Hang on a minute, I'm a not comedian was nearly president of, of Italy, so they've clearly got a. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, the comedian's president of the United States. <laughs> hey, there we go. satire. <laughs> Take that. Uh, the, the, the final point I want to make it brings us um, back to somebody we mentioned right at the beginning, which is Jose Mourinho. That after two years um, in jobs, and it was put to him in a press conference, wasn't it? After two years, you, you seem to not be able to either maintain your own love affair with a club because he is a very passionate, he's a very in- intense guy and he tends to build intense relationships with his players. Like with Brenda Zabaleta, very passionate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Jose Mourinho also has a tattoo of Zabaleta's mother on his chest. And he, so he, there, there is a theory that it just gets a bit too much. Okay. Even for players that when he went back to Chelsea, even for players that he had had such a strong relationship with, an absolutely incredible bond. So the, 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 the conspiracy theory is, is that he almost engineered his departure from Chelsea mm-hmm. because he had had, he had, had enough and he yeah. wanted to basically break all the relationships that he had had in order to, to make his, his transition to a Manchester United job or somewhere else a little bit easier for him mm-hmm. in terms of chronology, if nothing else. So do, do you get managers who genuinely are almost self-defeating in well, order to have, get out of a job that they feel like they won't be yeah, in for longer. You'd think, well, why would somebody want to... Or does it just happen to them? They work so hard, they do burn themselves were out. You, were you saying that applies to me? No, no, I, say, you, I think you have burned yourself out. But no, He's talking about the regularity have, that you, you get have, through jobs. You must have spoken to... <laughs> That's a fair point. You must have spoken to high-profile managers, surely you have, over your Absolutely. vast career. Yeah. Do you get a sense that these guys are very different, very passionate, and it is absolutely everything for, for two or three years and they simply cannot go on after that or they can engineer their own way out of it because they, they simply can't carry on the success I don't, they've had or simply do the job in the same way. I don't know if they'd ever engineer their own way out of it. I think they sometimes lose, in fact they definitely, whether they realise it or not, lose sight of what they're meant to be doing mm-hmm. and they start getting involved in battles they don't... They become so, they're so driven by winning and success, which is necessary, and they're so unencumbered by self-doubt, which is also necessary, that they start trying to apply that to lots of different things. And Mourinho's a great example. He, Mourinho went, went out of Chelsea because he started fighting battles he didn't need to fight. And he started taking people on that he didn't need to take on. And he needs that kind of tension, that, that, abras- that abrasion, I guess, to, to be at his best. I think he feels he does. Um, 
and there are other managers like that and I think that they, what happens is they almost become so consumed by their job that after three or four years in most cases they can no longer and Mourinho's a great example Pep, Pep is the same in a different way he left Barcelona because he was basically apart from the, the whole you know yeah. he'd, he'd had enough but he'd also had enough with the fact that he was being called upon by the, the president at the time Sandra Rossell to basically be a spokesperson for the club he thought that Sandra Rossell was ducking that part of it putting Pep out front and centre when they had the transfer yeah. ban and, and moments where he's like no, I'm, the, I'm the football guy don't make me Mr Barcelona mm. that's not my job and so he felt that that was too much you, you're right it's different it, but, but it's but the same thing that after, after three or four three or four years for managers like that elite managers I think they just the, the, not the fire's gone out but they, they've just become so consumed by it that they kind of lose sight of where they're going so they've almost. done as much as they can possibly do up yeah, to but a the, point they often need to be told Pep doesn't Jose did in that one instance but in others he hasn't You know, he left Inter willingly he, I think he left yeah he left Real they didn't sack him Real no, yeah, he left willingly yeah. um, they, so he's, he's worked out as well that after th- three years in his case or four times before or three in Pep's there's just nothing left. They need to take a bit of time off and just kind of... And I thought that when Pep took the job at City that you wonder whether he might be at his best if he has a, a year off in between, to be honest. But do, do these guys are also quite canny that they know that if they've not managed to, to pull off the trick to, to be at their very best over the course of a three or four season spell, they're not going to be able to, to do it with that club. Mm. And that it's better to, to cut loose and start again than to stick around too long and not get found out, but perhaps that if they have got any limitations, they might be discovered, and that actually a three or four year window is is where they is that that perfect sweet spot for them to to achieve what they believe is capable with a new club. Yeah, and 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 the funny thing is we've we've had this whole conversation without mentioning Claudio Ranieri, yeah. who Rory mentioned that you thought at the time after Leicester won the league that that would have been the perfect yeah, opportunity go, yeah. for Ranieri to go and it's not well it's, it's perhaps the exact opposite to the whole firefighting thing he had achieved something extraordinary but not likely to be repeated and anything that happened thereafter would, would always be compared to that so the best idea would be to leave straight after yeah, that but, but he, you, you would ever, never do it walk would away you'd never what, do what it. would Leicester I don't know whether he'd care what he'd have been tempted but the Champions League so? would have been too yeah, too significant yeah, a character yeah, yeah. You know, to have, to have seen him step away at that point, wouldn't it? We should say that during this conversation, I hope you've been enjoying the 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 sounds on a spring afternoon off Didsbury because we have uh, been able to open Rory's patio doors. So thank you very much indeed. Bloody right, we've opened the patio doors. First, Look firstly, for the for the way that we can paint a picture of middle class life, absolutely. Um, but also because we've had all sorts of nice little noises, including uh, I do remember a an aeroplane going above with legroom aplenty for all those Are people. Are your towels the on the dryer? They're the Dodge towels. Oh, thank uh, God. Why? I was going to buy you some towels, if that's what you were dealing with, after you get out of the No, bath. they're the Dodge towels. Oh, that's okay then. We should also make it clear that we've all been very, very brave this afternoon. We have, yeah. The size of that bumblebee coming that in and out was, of those patio doors. But when you live in the country like I do, you see those, it's a daily occurrence. Less don't bees worry the about that. Side. Lesser men would have scattered from the room. Ferris, it's still there, you know, it's on the ground. Ferris was crying like a little girl, wasn't he? Yes, it was. Even though the, the whole the whole podcast has been recorded and it would be very easy to go back and discover whether indeed I did cry like a little girl. He yeah, let's just, let's right. just say that you I did. cried like a little girl. <laughs> um, it is once again time to ask Andrew Hinchcliffe to take centre stage, which is an important 
important moment that we all like to enjoy. Often, uh, we take a little departure from a never mind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story, into the realms of what we have entitled Ask Chinch, which is very simply questions from you, our friends on Set Piece Menu. Um, and Steve, who is completely in charge of all these things, has managed to whittle them down to a couple of sensibles, a couple of childish. Ask Chinch, part two. Should we get, should we get the childish ones out of the way first? couple from uh, Ronan Meagan. Uh, thanks for these, Ronan. Uh, can you confirm the story I heard that Ron Atkinson wears Turkish slippers at home? <laughs> Hashtag ask Chinch. Well, as you know, I have been to Ron's abode, but on that occasion... He did not. Well, you mean the big curly? Yeah, 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 with, the, with no, the curly toe. He didn't like the Alibaba kind of. No, yeah. he didn't have those on. But that's not to say he didn't have a pair in his bedroom, which I didn't go in for love play. Oh, really? If his wife's yeah. in a gold lame cat suit, I can imagine with those Turkish slippers going beautifully. Brenda, bring the Kit Kats. I've got my slippers on. Brenda Atkins. Ronan was also interested, though, chinching your time at Everton and wants to know whether there's any truth in the rumour that Neville Southall would wear an outfield blue Everton jersey in his spare time. Well, Neville was notoriously his fashion sense. I don't think he had any. <laughs> he didn't have any fashion sense. He did. He used to come into training in his training gear. After training, training to fresh training gear, then go home again. <laughs> so I, we only ever saw him once in his in his normal civvies, and it was awful. It was appalling. Double denim. The Toronto tuxedo. He <laughs> didn't ever want to see that again. That's why he never came to social events, I don't think, because he didn't have any clothes. Did he never home. go to social events? Yeah, That's uh, really sad. No, we won the FA Cup. I don't want to mention this, but I, I won. <laughs> I didn't win the FA Cup. I pretty much did win the FA Cup in 95, and we had a, a bit of a do, a bit of a shindig mm. afterwards. And uh, Neville, straight from the game, had a car pick him up from Wembley, got in his car and went home. Never even, really? Never even came to the uh, the celebratory meal at the, uh, the Grosvenor Hotel. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Did he just uh, not like you? The rest of me. you, he collectively. Yeah, you were there, no, so he, he didn't want to be. got very well, but he was teetotal, so I don't know that had anything to do with it. And there were a few drinks consumed. We had just won the FA Cup. I had just won the FA Cup. Did you drink any drink uh, out of the FA Cup? I'd, I know that Dave Watson, now I better be careful how I term this, had the FA Cup in his bed. But I'm not going to say he slept with the FA Cup. <laughs> right, no. OK. Yeah? You see what? See, um, yeah, see yes. the subtle difference I'm there. glad that you clarified that. So, th- I, did I drink? No, I don't think I did. I might have had a Lucozade out of it. Absolutely. Get, get your electrolytes back up. Yeah. Surely it's obligatory after winning a trophy that you... I was just... I was completely stupefied because I never won anything before. Whose cross was it for Rideout's goal? Uh, I think Matt Jackson pulled it back. Didn't Graham Stewart hit the bar? Should have scored. Uh, Rideout right, leapt yeah. like yeah. a salmon. He did. it past Peter Schmeichel. But uh, yes, Graham it came to the right-hand side, Graham not the left. Sh- yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was getting I was playing in the yeah. left-hand side. I'd had an injection in my kidneys. I couldn't feel my lower leg. Had but a really good game. You, uh, what he marks Roy Keane out of the game because he was playing the on the right hand side. Yeah, you asked Keane about that. Oh. Injection of what? Um, I don't know. Might have been milk or something. I don't know what the doctor. And you couldn't feel. Leg. You couldn't no. feel your lower leg because I had an Achilles problem and I had a jab in it before the game. And I thought, oh, this feels great. It's deadened my, my Achilles tendon. And then I thought, wait a minute, I can't feel my boot. Wait a minute, I can't feel my knee. <laughs> so my whole <laughs> leg. That turned into something of a soccer story. I feel like that there was there was a bonus element of that uh, particular. That's what I tend uh, to section. bring, isn't it? So thank you very much yeah. indeed. Which is and the beauty of hashtag Ask Chinch. Thank you indeed. Please do make sure you continue to send in your questions at 
set piece menu. And of course, we now have an email address, which is just set piece menu, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. That is where you can share all your thoughts about our wonderful program. Uh, please do so as much as you can. We're all very insecure. Uh, please also go to iTunes, subscribe, review there as well. Share as much as you can there as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, to Rory particularly, uh, for our incredibly hard, hard biscuits. biscuits. There um, was other stuff. And also to um, Andy as well, and to you for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon. He does this. Ridiculous. When, when he hosts, I do it's all about the food, yeah. all about the quality. And he texts you afterwards and says, how yeah. great was my jambalaya? I know. It's ridiculous. But when we host... Yeah. Oh, oh Steve can't make panini. Yeah. Oh. A plate of mouldy stale biscuits was put yeah. out. But what was he whinging about with the lubrication as well? Remember oh, that? yeah. Steve doesn't like tomato sauce. Yeah. I like lubrication with my food. Just as you wouldn't give him a drink. I cannot. It's, it's just something that, I, I'm sorry, but it's I feel very strongly about. Food needs lubrication. I like sauces. No, we're not talking about I like condiments. Anymore. That's fine. You can. We all like to receive condiments. We we were out the other night. Um, Where? Home sweet home. Where's that? In uh, the the Great Northern, in the Great Northern building, in the middle oh, of Manchester, yeah, 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 yeah. bottom of Peter Street. Very nice, excellent. Uh, do with some uh, BBC work colleagues and uh, bloody license license fee gravy train. <laughs> don't that. don't all worry. The, all the, the expenses was the BBC it? BBC yeah. didn't pay for that. Just like you're going to pay for your extended leg room on your way back. From <laughs> I New have York. paid for. I'm not expensing it. I promise you. There was coleslaw on the side of my uh, my burger and fries. As there would be. Yeah. Straight straight away. Cute. You're not going to eat that, are you? Because and as yeah, much as I love lubrication, away. Steve is very anti-lubrication. No, but we're not talking about lubrication. We're talking about the fact that you always criticise everybody else's food, and it's really rude. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not prepared to defend that. That's fine. I was just defending <laughs> your, your slight disregard of my need for lubrication. Coleslaw is not lubrication. It's it coleslaw. Is. It's wet. It has. It's wet. It's got mayonnaise on it. Yeah, somebody, somebody, has, somebody has cut up yeah. carrots and Do cabbage. Like and for reasons best known it. to themselves, decided to stir, stir in some mayonnaise. You don't like coleslaw? Like no. it. Well, it's because it's, it's got lubrication. I love coleslaw. He, he, has, no, he doesn't like salad. He doesn't like, he doesn't like anything that has no, even likes. No, no, I like salad. You just want... You I'll like eat salad. Like. What happens to the point where somebody comes and pours or drizzles something over it? It's like anti-lubrication. Mm. He, is, he is against lubrication. I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't eat a salad without a drizzle or something on it. Yeah, I've, I have to have the lubrication. I need a drizzle otherwise, or something. Otherwise you are no better than a rabbit. Dry. Must be dry. Dry. I've got, do, I've got, I don't do mind if it's Hector's kibble. It's, I, don't, look, I don't mind if it's a sauce that's been cooked in. If that's how it's been cooked and presented, that's fine. It's anything that's Extra. added after the he's not cooking a process. No, he's, not a, he's not a man for frippery, but is he? might it? be complimenting. He, comes, he comes from the commuter belt of North Hampshire. He's very much into frippery. <laughs> <laughs> you're seeing condiments and lubricants as, as, as wrong when yeah. it could actually improve what you're eating. He refuses. You're so right. He refuses. I'm glad we brought this up. So you don't have-